So we've backlogged a little bit. So what you're hearing is a recording from actually the day. It's November 2nd currently as we're recording. Um, so we don't know what kind of world you're living in. And we're not really going to address any of that. And, you know, whatever has happened in the past few days for you, I'm sure a little respite uh, is what you're seeking out uh, to listen to us talk about some film and TV, namely Avatar and this special episode. Uh, just wanted to address that just so you know. Uh, I know when a lot of stuff this year has happened, I've been like, why haven't those people on this podcast that I'm listening to address that? And it's because I don't know. Uh, so um, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Gary, why don't you tell me a little bit about what you've been watching recently? So we've talked about this on the podcast recently because of talking about Bly Manor. Yeah. How you rewatched Hill House and realized yeah. that, yeah, that show is the shit. Oh, yeah. It was lightning in a bottle. Mm-hmm. Well, I just finished rewatching it as well, and fuck. It just, <laughs> just is. Further better. Confer- I'm sorry. What I've said. <laughs> but, yeah. like, okay, I, se- I texted this to you, and I wanted to say it on the podcast. Yeah. Bly Manor is like a Fast and Furious movie where Hill House was Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah, yeah, like, no, I, I get that. Comparison. I love watching a Fast and Furious movie. They've got some great practical car effects and stuff. I mean, the first one is a racing movie, so I can't. Yeah. That's, like, different. But, you know, like Fast Five, <laughs> no, I yeah, guess, yeah. is what I'm saying. Right. But, like, Mad Max Fury Road is, like, lightning in a bottle. Mm-hmm. And that's, like you said, what Hill House is. The aspect of Hill House that I appreciate the most is that it is true to itself, I felt yeah. like Bly Manor was trying to be Hill Housey, where Hill yeah. House isn't trying to be anything. It's, it's like, like, yeah, I, I feel like I've phrased this before, but Hill House has great continuity. And then Bly Manor feels like it's trying to do the like separate aspects of it that yes. form into the continuity of Hill House without the continuity. You know, like exactly. the rules don't apply throughout in the same way. Yeah, I get yeah, what and that's what makes Hill House so cool. And I think what they thought made it cool was, like, the mystery and as each episode goes, like, learning about each character. And by the end, you now know the whole story. Right. And that's only, like, 30% of what makes Hill right. House so great. And it is, you know? it's fairly effective in Bly Manor. But Hill oh, House I really liked so Bly Manor. That's better. the thing. I yeah. really liked it. But yeah. I'd say Bly Manor had a very similar uh, – another thing that I just finished watching, uh, the season two, I was avoiding it because of a certain – actor in it but i remembered that i had gotten to a point where that actor faced some justice so i i finished you season two yeah and it gives me bly manor gives me a similar feeling of like it's like a guilty pleasure show do you know what i mean by that yeah and i don't want to say that against someone who really loved bly manor or someone who really loves you because i enjoy the fuck out of both Mm -hmm. but like there's a seriousness about hill house that's like you know, like, I feel like I could talk to my therapist about what they're talking about on the show, and it <laughs> yeah. wouldn't be like, no, no, that's not good. They'd be like, wow, shit, that's some good <laughs> advice. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, I get what you mean. That's how yeah. I feel about it. But, yeah, uh, yeah right you on. season two, Bly Manor, yeah, those were kind of what I've been watching. Uh, what have you been right checking on. out? Uh, I just want to touch on one thing. Uh, I want to briefly mention that I watched two movies that I really liked. I watched The Social Dilemma for the first time and really liked it. Don't want to talk about it because I don't have much to say. It was just pretty good. And uh, I saw a movie called The Lodge, a horror movie that turned out way differently than I expected, but it was very, very good. I recommend it. 
I want to talk about the Great British Bake Off because you mentioned it. Yeah, the last episode or the episode yes. before that, but you you mentioned uh, it, and I've been apprehensive because it's one of those things where the fandom is like so intense that it's like a little daunting. And I watched yep. an episode apprehensively, and then watched the entire season, and now I'm in it. And the thing about it is. I, I love it. Don't get me wrong. It's fantastic. I want to bring up one aspect that I've noticed. Uh, I had a completely free day and spent the entire day watching Great British Bake Off. And the feeling at the end of that day was really, really not good. Like, it it felt like I'd accomplished absolutely nothing at all. I mean, I've <laughs> spent days just watching TV, but for some reason, the amount of, like, how inconsequential it is. Yes, that's the word I was trying to think of. It's it like is, it's that's charming like the point of the show. Lulling you into comfort, but like if you sit in that for an entire day, it's just like uh, uh. Yeah, that's it's like <laughs> yeah. the perfect show if I don't know, it's just the perfect comfort show, but yeah. you that's you why this newest season this newest season is great because they're actually releasing it episodically, so you can't do that. Uh, well, I think we should probably get into the show here so that we can introduce our guest who's been waiting very patiently, our friend from high school who is, uh, we've sort of reconvened recently through, uh, role-playing games and just hanging out, uh, as, uh, through the new lens of, of adults and a new lens of a new friendship. Um, he's got a podcast which has just released its first episode by the time you're hearing this. It's called Mud Show Dirt Sheet. Uh, I'll let him tell you a little bit about it. Uh, his name is Tim Ross, and uh, here he is. I would like him. Uh, <laughs> you can <laughs> tell us about your podcast and let us know what airbender or God damn it, I always do that. I always resort me too. to Airbender. Tell me what bender you think you are. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, the podcast is Mud Show Dirt Sheet, and appropriately with uh, a podcast with two different mud words in it, I think I would be an earthbender. <laughs> but yeah, uh, the Mud Show yeah, Dirt Sheet, sense. it is a podcast. Uh, our tagline is competitive fantasy booking by two high guys in the Target demo. <laughs> and we just talk weekly about a wrestling show we really like, and we book it competitively before it comes out. And whichever one of us does worse has to do something pretty horrible. Um, oh, spoiler! <laughs> spoiler for week one: either myself or my friend uh, at the Good Guy Ryan Peterson will be uh, starting an OnlyFans page. So. <laughs> okay. Wow. So, look, oh, so awesome. I guess I'll plug that as well. Commitment. Hell yeah. Yeah, I don't know, but uh <laughs> <laughs> What do you guys think is fair? Like a dollar ninety nine? I'd pay a dollar ninety, you know what I mean? <laughs> if I have to do it, I might ends as well up, make a little ends money. Ends up off becoming of it. like an OnlyFans like, <laughs> a huge like hit. you blow up and you're one of those people who can get like a mansion from like showing pictures of your butt. I God, see I that. T- listen. Tim, I, only... I hope you lose so that you have to do it because I'll I'll pay for you that. and me both. The only thing <laughs> stopping me from starting an OnlyFans right now without the punishment is I don't think there's a lot of market saturation for heavy set white guys in the <laughs> like pay to see nude photo community. <laughs> well, uh, if that interests you, maybe we'll you, be surprised. Uh, you should uh, go check out <laughs> check out his show and the links that ensue from that. Uh, I don't know a whole a whole lot about rest but i'll definitely be checking out your show as well so uh yeah give that a look i have a wrestling avatar fact for you 
Oh, yeah. I've got a, I brought fun facts to this recording. Um, the episode in which Toph is introduced, she fights a character named the Boulder. Hell yeah. Um, the Boulder was voiced by professional wrestler and actor Mick Foley. Yep. Uh, after the original voice actor, The Rock, fell out. so Oh, um, really? He was, yeah, was like, going to be The Rock? Oh, yes, wow. The Boulder was supposed to be voice acted by Dwayne The Rock Johnson. That's fantastic. They should get him for the live action show. I mean, if they have the budget for it, like getting The Rock on your show would get some extra viewers. I'm just saying. Yeah, it's it's just free eyes on the product. Like every 50-year-old exactly. ever is like and Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Because The Boulder is like... You know, I mean, it's a, that it's a cheesy joke. Like, of I mean, the rock he's a wrestler. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, the boulder. Yeah, uh, man, we had Sophina on that episode who who has no knowledge of wrestling at all. That would have been another one good, another good one for you, Tim. But uh, I'm glad to have you on this episode. Which speaking I'm happy of, to be here. We should get into. You're listening to A New Lens. It's a podcast Gary and I started to talk about film and television that we liked as kids through the new lens of adults and amateur filmmakers. Uh, We've gotten into Avatar The Last Airbender to Season 2, Episode 17, Lake Laogai. Ooh, just saying it kind of gives me chills. Oh, yeah. This is one of those episodes that, leading into it, I always am like, mentally preparing myself oh, you yeah. know what i mean i this mean this is like yeah emotional some shit goes down should we do a, a lot, recap yeah uh well first i, I want to get into a couple things first uh i want to mention that uh this is such a good episode it won a primetime emmy award for individual oh, really? achievement award like it's and it's well a, deserved well deserved it's a really good episode um, one of my favorites for sure i, do, I say that every week uh, <laughs> I mean, there's so many. There's so many top five. There's like 25 well, when it's top your five favorite episodes. Show. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do want to get into something a little serious before we get into the beat, uh, beat to beat of this. I want to address the use of the term Lao guy, which it's been brought to my attention is it's a historical term and currently also relevant in the world. Lao guy is short for Laodong Gaizo, which means reform through labor. Laogai are actually basically internment camps, like basically slave labor camps in China that have been used to imprison and use the the labor of the Tibetan people and other marginalized minority groups. There's a, a long article that I actually sent to you guys as well that it's it's not an article it's it's a tumblr post but it's a very well written sort of uh, comprehensive thought post uh that a tibetan man had about why he really does not like the show and i think it's important that we address at least this i think you know as much as we praise this show not everything used is necessarily responsibly done so the main point bringing up is this use of the of Laogai in this setting. When it refers very directly to something that many people have suffered from and died from and have been put through inhumane living conditions and just horrible, horrific treatment of human beings. And the main problem that this person has, I will link this post in the description, 
is that they don't address that at all. If you're going to use that term specifically, Lao guy, you should at least let your audience members know what it is that you're using and referencing. Because to have a fan base going around gushing about this use of this place in this universe that they love called Lao guy and using these words when they don't even know the historical background of them can be extremely harmful. I just wanted yeah, to make sure I address that. It's yeah, no, I imagine being like younger and, you know, referencing the show. There's always, you mm-hmm. know, like you, you might say something like, I don't know. I can't even think of an example, but if you were to say it to the wrong person, re- referencing Lake Lao guy without knowing what you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that comes to a point that I always have to remind myself, especially about this show, because I just love it so much. So it's easy to like forget this, but it was made by people. Yeah, People made this show and people fuck up. And sometimes like in this situation, that's something that's not like, a, hey, it's fine. There's people who made it. They fucked up. I don't mean it like that. But I do mean giving anything uh, 100% praise without any questioning is dangerous yes you know you always got to question what you're what you're appreciating i actually had a long conversation today with um someone who she she was telling me that her experience she's korean and as a korean woman literally in the last 10 years it went from being like are you chinese or japanese oh what's korea i don't even know what that is Hmm. to k-pop and gongdom Hmm. style making her like like people are like oh yeah i love korea and like korean culture is so cool Mm -hmm. and she was talking about how like weird cultural appropriation from her perspective is because she's always been someone who's like what's the big deal and now it's affecting her personally and she's like i totally am like fuck that and we had like this long conversation about um like the differences in what cultural appropriation like can be like and we mentioned avatar the last airbender generally being really respectful of cultures and using them to like create this fantasy world that nods to all these beautiful things and then i mentioned this because this uh, this conversation was today and you had already told me about it and we were both just like kind of shocked that there would address something that happened that wasn't a beautiful thing but not like you said teach their audience which is a lot of kids you know so kids are learning about like i grew up learning words in chinese and didn't even know it and it's important to you know you know when you do eventually learn what those words mean finding out that it's kind of like oh shit i mean i like the opening to children influence in in america specifically the influences of eastern culture and trying to make that a beautiful thing it just gets hard when you're navigating the line of what is opening people up and what is making people think that you have come up with these certain ideas that they are original ideas created by these men and not historically potent and Mm -hmm. loaded names and figures yeah i think um uh just to hop in here uh, a a very similar uh thing is happening with another uh cultural uh touchstone of mm. today's day and age which is hamilton and a lot of the criticisms oh. uh therein and i think uh the the thing that stands out to me is in historical or 
historically inspired fiction especially things can be both beautiful well done well executed and meaningful and thought-provoking and Mm -hmm. at the same time uh have things in them that are inherently problematic i think that's uh like western media in general being as (laughs) capitalistic and monetary as it is like yeah even even the things that are good and avatar is certainly amongst them in my book have things that need uh re-evaluation and criticism yeah absolutely and i think it's important for us to be able to address these things and still be able to say i love this show so much but we need to talk about it's valid if you don't yeah oh absolutely oh Um, yeah man who doesn't love that show i'm not gonna say anything against that that's totally valid especially even after the few words you said but i'm gonna read that post to fully understand yeah i Um, encourage any listeners to read through the post and just just think about what's said in it um yeah but uh, I think that's enough pre-show talk. I'm glad we addressed that. I hope it's informative to you, and I hope you look uh, a little bit more into it. Uh, with that said, we should get into our recap. So basically, this episode is all about Aang and the gang trying to find Appa, right? That's I'm trying to like recap in my head. I didn't write down a recap, but the, like very. The very essence of the storyline is yeah. So essentially, we start out with Aang like putting flyers around what we really start with is a really cute moment which we'll talk about but uh he puts some flyers around which is also how zuko realizes that they're in the same city yeah so zuko now kind of knows appa is in the city missing ang is looking for appa judy tries to stop them and this is the moment that they decide fuck that we are doing what we need to do to get appa yep and they that's like the, the point of this episode they have now reach their limit of being played or what was the word Toph used you're being uh handled handled. they're done with that so that that's kind of where this episode goes and then all of a sudden we see Jet again Mm -hmm. after the last time we saw him being possibly hypnotized we don't know and he sees Katara and tries to tell her he can help them find Appa and after a little feud they eventually gain just enough trust in him to follow him where he's going and he seems to be right. And we see like an area that Appa could have been. And then we see his friends and they're like, yo, Jet, we thought that you got captured. And it immediately creates this moment of realization for the audience about what's going on in this town. Mm-hmm. There's literal brainwashing happening. So they use this knowledge and some really cool techniques that Katara uses, which we'll talk about to find this place, Lake Laogai, which has been referenced, I think, didn't they talk about it in the last episode, or is this the I only they episode they've it even said it? in uh, City of Walls and Secrets, but that's it. But basically, it's this underground cave system under a lake, which is cool to me. Mm-hmm. And they go to this lake, or this underground cave system to find Appa, and there are epic character moments with Zuko, with jet with the freedom fighters and it all accumulates to this final moment um that is really great and i'm not even going to say what happens because we'll talk about it in detail but yeah that's the essence of this episode it's a finding appa slash zuko realizing like oh shit this is what's happening and it all comes together they're trying to find appa and they find much deeper secrets than that Ooh. 
Ooh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> he just uh, did the recap in five seconds. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> um, so we get this like the the first things we hear this this creepy music, these these bells, these sort of gongs, and like little plucks as well. Which I'm not sure we've heard that element in the music yet. But they add that, and then Spice. the gongs fade away, and we're just left with the plucks, and it kind of seamlessly transitions into this goofy music as Sokka is making these drawings of Appa in their house. These drawings look so bad. I mean, they comment on it and they're like, his arrow's supposed to be on his head. It is on his head. That is his head. <laughs> to me, it's like the sweet, like the the fact that these drawings are so bad, but he still made that many yeah he loves appa you know yeah. this is the because like to me like Sokka is kind of one of those like like you know he loves momo but he'll offer him up to the great sea serpent if he needs to <laughs> yeah. you know and this is like one of those moments where you realize like no he he loves appa you know he misses him he's willing to do something he's bad at and draw a bunch of flyers and then when they come with the better ones He's genuinely, like, upset that they're not going to use his, you know? I like the thought of that. Like, it warms my heart. But also, the thought occurs to me that this is just another thing for Sokka to do. Oh, you know what I mean? Like, totally. I'm going to totally. make the flyers, you know? Like, <laughs> You're so right. Here, here's the thing. Sokka just wants to help. Yeah. Like, Sokka, Sokka is surrounded by the Avatar, the most powerful <laughs> bender in the world. Yeah. An earthbending champion, his super badass younger sister, and yeah. then just him. He just wants to help. <laughs> yeah. It's so clear that Sokka's just like, what do I do? Right. I'll do and a it doesn't flyer. help that when they come back with these professionally done They're beautiful. Beautiful <laughs> it's calligraphy. Like better than like... the art that's used as wanted posters <laughs> right. throughout looks, the show. You know, we've seen more... wanted posters. Yeah. This true. is like a real print printing press or something, you know? Yeah, I love Toph is like, I love your drawings. Thank you, Toph. And then he realizes, why do you feel the need to do this to me? <laughs> the amount of wonderful Toph jokes in this episode. Yeah. Like uh, when they are when they go to hang the posters and Toph says, why do you think I need help? Slathers right. paint on, slams it on the wall, and then goes, it's upside down, isn't it? <laughs> it's such a perfect it's like, joke. And it's, and it's backwards. Like, it's not even upside down. It's upside down, yeah. backwards, it's just wrong. and off-centered. Like, oh, that's it's such just... a like, clever joke, too, because it's a, a turning of even what the butt of the joke could be. You know, if it was upside like down. Like just being upside like, down. Yeah. yeah, no. It's like it's, e all it's another step. It's, it's, yeah, very, very funny, good writing. Um, I love Aang flying. Uh, he shoves all these flyers into his... Uh, pouch like his satchel and he takes his glider out and i love these these flyers just drifting out from his just satchel, like as Appa's we've seen fur. before yeah as he yeah. uh was spreading uh a false trail of fur and then we cut over to iroh and zuko working in the tea shop mostly iroh serving these guys who stand up and offer him his own shop like they're trying to i love this moment so much it doesn't yeah. feel like a okay come on like he's only been working there what like it really feels like this dude is that good at making tea and they've been there for a few weeks 
and these guys are rich yeah. and they just want to profit off of his like abilities. Right. It doesn't feel bad though. I'm like super happy for Iroh. It's such a cool moment. I don't know. It doesn't even need to be in the episode too when you think about it. They don't yeah. need this, but it it I, just I don't but know. But it it does set a good storyline, you, you know, uh for Iroh and his sort of yeah. arc and what's going on in his life. But that's what I mean. Like this show will give us that when yeah. it could just give us the arcs of our main characters. We're getting more and more into Iroh. Yeah. Oh man, I I uh, hate to disagree with you here, Gary, but um, for me, Iroh in like this whole second half of the season arc boils down to telling Zuko in this episode, there's nothing wrong with a life of peace and prosperity. Like, um, wow, this fair is enough. the 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 episode where Iroh tells Zuko, "You get to choose your destiny," and this is um, you know fate or fiction or Deus Ex Machina offering him. A different life you know what i mean this is yeah uh, for in terms of starting over as a refugee this is the best a person like zuko and iroh could hope for and yeah. iroh has the opportunity to present it in front of zuko and say there's nothing wrong with being the manager and server at a tea shop like that's true um presenting that dignity to zuko uh especially uh right now <laughs> Spoilers later in this episode, the big transition that happens in Zuko's mentality. I think it's really informed by the beginning of that scene. And honestly, saying that makes me realize that the reason it feels like, oh, that probably didn't even need to be in there is because of how casually it's put in there Hmm. because of this episode's just great use of moments rather than, you know, a lot of shows will have a moment like uh, an emotional moment just be for that moment. But, I mean, you're making me realize that every moment in this episode kind of correlates with, like, the the journey of Zuko's self, of Aang's self, you know? Sure. And uh, that's a lot to do with uh, writing and direction. Great yeah, episode. I, uh, in as far in as listening that goes. to your guys' last episode, you talked about editing a lot. Mm-hmm. And I, I truly think that the, the marvelous thing about this episode in particular is that there's just like nothing extra but also nothing missing it's like yeah exactly the right amount of information to tell the story totally totally you you feel like you get information and then goofs you get intensity and respite like it's all packed in there i do find it interesting related to what we've been talking about with iroh and and this opportunity it's interesting that what really makes it for him like this new person and the tea shop owner are kind of having like an argument like trying to win over Iroh and what makes it for Iroh is he says I can even name my own shop that he gets to decide the name and have some like creative influence is what makes it for him and I I do think that's interesting I, I think it's pretty cool um, it's a special moment for me too when he just hands the pot of tea to the owner and then bows to this new guy. There's something just like formal yeah. and cool about it. You know, it's like the handshake, except he simply hands right. the teapot back and then this owner of the shop just has such a sad look and then he just bows to this new guy. It's the only way to respectfully quit a job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Iroh figured it out. So Zuko walks by, and Iroh is very excited by this opportunity, but Zuko's being a teenager, but also a very troubled human being, and uh, 
dismisses it and sets down this teapot angrily and walks outside. I did want to point out the animation of his hair has clearly gotten a little bit longer. Um, I think they've been there for a couple, three weeks or something, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they said there was going to be a very long time for them to be able to get audience with the the Earth King. And they, they did it a bit quicker, but I do think it's been a while since they had their interaction with Long Fang. I think yeah. it's even been a while since then. And I think part of how I can tell that is Zuko's hair growth. Um, because and it's distinctly longer. Another than part that I can tell that from, I don't know if it already happened or if it's going to happen in the next scene, but it's so small, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. We we see them playing like a game, oh, like yeah, solitaire. Yeah, totally. And like, so at this point, they're literally just like spending some time fucking around. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, but so anyway, Zuko. Zuko walks out angrily, and as he's outside, one of these flyers floats down. And just think about it. He's been so removed from his hunt for the Avatar and been giving in a bit to Iroh's trying to make a new life here. And here drops right in front of him a flyer from the Avatar looking for his bison. It's such a... Oh, it's such a huge... Like, you can And there's something about the, the way it's shifting. like shot. Of him, like, yeah. climbing, immediately knowing what he's got to do. Like, right. he looks he up, sees up. the trail, climbs to the top of the roof, looks over, and you notice, like, it must have been just then yeah. that Aang dipped back down into, like, wherever just he was. Just missed him, yeah. And then there's just a close-up of Zuko's face, and it honestly is all you need to know to know that, like, this work, this progress, it's just been broken, yep. you know, in some way. It's like what we were talking about in the last episode where Iroh saw Appa fly over mm-hmm. and didn't say anything. Right. This moment is what would have happened if he would have said something. Yeah. This is when we cut over back to the gang because Aang, we, it sort of follows Aang, you know. He just missed yeah. him and here's Aang That's just the editing in this too. That's, That's the how editing. Just yep. so good it does. They do such a good job of being like... From one person's point of view to another without it feeling like we're moving across another city. It literally feels yep. like Zuko was looking where Aang is now landing, mm-hmm. you know? A- Aang walks in and Katara says, y- you've got to have some patience. Like, it's not just going to happen right away. And he sits down and immediately there's a knock at a door and he's like, patience really pays off. I like that by the door we have uh, Sokka's bag with some stuff in it oh, and the that. staff just like leaning up like... They've been here long enough. That's where they like set their shit down. Yeah, yeah. Stuff like that always really helps immerse me into a world. You know, like we could so easily have all that stuff somewhere else. Usually it would probably be an Appa saddle, but mm-hmm. they set it next to the door because that's right. what they grab on their way out. Yeah. I don't know. Stupid stuff like that always really gets me. Aang answers the door and this new Judy is there. I also want to uh, reference the historical and, you know, world context of judy is the most common name it's basically what they use over in china for jane doe it's like the generic name jane doe judy uh that's basically that which makes it even more like this is just a blank person and this is the original judy too right like the first one they met yeah i I hate to quibble calvin but you said a new judy this is actually the first judy returning is it okay okay so yeah it was it was her originally they brought a new one in after the avatar gang had some shenanigans and then uh she came back after a vacation to the eponymous Uh, lake laogai and so So this kind of shows us what lake laogai does to you right Mm -hmm. 
It like makes yeah, her. It's, it's... It re brainwashes her. Yeah. So yeah, we can sort of interpret those things. And she says you can't disperse flyers like you're doing. That's against the rules. And they fight back a little bit, and then she there's this very creepy the bells in the audio start again and this very very extreme close-up on her face and she just says you are absolutely forbidden from spreading any more flyers without explicit content i i don't remember if the ending of that sentence is exactly but i know she's but like, it seems like she's forbidden. just about to fucking break yeah and it's it's creepy as fuck um and then ang just flips out on her and this is a cartoonish moment ang's sort of you know, intensity, his head gets huge and red and he yells at her and pushes her out and just slams the door as soon as he's done talking. Um, which is slightly, it's, it's kind of satisfying the way it's animated um, that he just yells and just <laughs> speech over and we see his head slowly fade from red back to its normal color. And yeah, they, they basically get the mentality that Fuck that. Let's break the rules. I think Toph even says, yeah, let's break some rules. And just Uh, busts a hole in the side of their wall. Busts a massive hole in their wall. And then I love the joke. It's not even a joke. He's just saying a thing, but it's world building. Sokka says, yeah, that's going to bite us in the blubber. Oh. You know? Total uh, southern water tribe fucking saying, you know? Bite us in the blubber. It's just great. I don't know. Yeah. I when I never noticed it before this time because I was like writing shit down. I was like, did he just say bite us in the blubber? And I like yeah. rewound it and re-listened to it. And I was like, that's so awesome. Oh like, yeah. Uh we cut over to Long Feng in his office, and this is one of the sort of setup payoff moments of the episode. We get this uh we we get Judy there, the one who was just at their door, and he's reprimanding her, and then he uses this phrase. The Earth King has invited you to Lake Laogai, and her pupils the, the, dialed. Yeah, the shot of the pupil is like such good oh. cartoon cinematography. Yeah. You could never get that shot like good enough looking to include it in a TV show if it wasn't animated. Right. But God yeah. in the cartoon does that like big widespread pupil really get that point across. Yeah. And it's even in that wide angle lens again. And uh mm-hmm. I also love that this scene reveals to us that Judy is an act. Like, yeah. she's brainwashed with what she is telling them, but mm-hmm. the way she's acting composed and it is forbidden for you to... She is clearly, like, holding back a real person. Yes. There's a real person. Because when... It's a little spoilery of the episode, but you already watched it. So, <laughs> um, when we see Jet... And we find out that similar shit has happened to him. Mm-hmm. He's acting completely normal. He has no idea. Yeah. Because I think Judy is not only brainwashed, she's also being told to act this way. Like, yes. Against her it's will. And it makes her, it yeah. even creepier that she's like, I can't do this anymore. She's like right. f- oh. crying about it. And it's like so heartbreaking haunting, to know that yeah. this woman has just been turned into... A fucking handler, you know? Especially in the context of much later in the episode where they're walking oh. through Lake Lao Guy and you get that shot of like the seven Judies oh, all saying, man. like, there is no war inside the walls. And they have that horrifying fish angled out yeah. shot of all seven of them just like yep. dead eyed looking forward. And their eyes oh, are all man. glazed. 
Oh, there's a good use yeah. of that in uh, the brainwashing sequences in this episode. They have like a film over their eyes too. Yep. It's a whole mix of great animation. And this scene in Long Fang's office is elevated yet again by that green fire. There's something about it that just creeps me out. I just, mm-hmm. and cracks me up. Cause it's like, if you're going to have fire in the earth nation, it has to be, <laughs> it's green, gotta be green, you know? Yeah. I would be remiss if I didn't mention that Long Feng is voiced by Clancy Brown, who yeah. is uh, among the greatest, like, villainous actors of our oh, yeah. time. I yeah. mean, from Pet Cemetery, um, Shawshank Redemption, Shawshank Redemption yeah. Highlander, even, he was the bad guy in. Hell yeah. Clancy Brown is a treasure, and it shows because Long Feng is spooky and bad. Oh, yeah. I mean, right up there with all his other legendary roles that he has portrayed. Absolutely. Including Mr. Krabs. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. No way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Mr. Krabs. (laughs) <laughs> there is no war in Boxing Day. <laughs> Only money. <laughs> um, but uh, we get back to Iroh and Zuko at this point, and Iroh is musing on the name for his tea shop, and he brings up the Jasmine Dragon. It's exciting. It's dynamic, and he's so excited by it. I just, I, I it brings so much, so much to me, and it's an idea that he does not forget. But Zuko walks in and. You know, he's trying to get Zuko excited about this. And these are good things are happening. We can make a life here. And I think Iroh understands how dangerous this moment for Zuko is when he gets this information and he knows the Avatar is here and he wants to return to his previous, like, obsession with this. And he says you have to you have to think about this there's nothing wrong with the life of peace and prosperity you have to think about what you want these are these are huge things that i think iroh has been wanting to say for to him for a while but he's noticed that he he has seen zuko go through transition periods where he can't explicitly say it would be too much to force him all at once but he's trying to help him along to a healthier life and these are things that clearly he has been wanting Zuko to be thinking about these large questions which we get to by the end but oh I want to get to that moment later um, but clearly he's already thinking about these things yeah I think I think it's very telling from a like storyboarding perspective yeah that um the episode in which the like a plot is brainwashing Mm. is uh the b plot is a different kind of release of an indoctrination you know what i mean interesting yeah it's it's very it is very similar in terms of storytelling what's going on in lake laogai with the release of the indoctrination of the fire nation that's going on with zuko and iroh Mm -hmm. i think that that is a really really smooth line that uh the creators just drew through this episode absolutely that's a really good point good directing in this episode can't wait till we get to the end to find out who it was i don't anyway uh so we get we get to uh a maybe one of my favorite moments in like the whole show uh i think we're there now katara coming across jet jet basically calls out to her and she turns and immediately unleashes just as much water, a water as attack on <laughs> yeah. him. And he's like, wait, I've changed. I'm good now. Yeah. And it's like, she just doesn't believe him. She throws some more. And then 
finally she's like gonna give him a second because he drops his swords yeah and then he goes to reach for his little something something. and she does just a dope icicle (laughs) holding him up move yeah i feel like this little moment is just another step forward in her process as a bender because it all feels so natural and it's all way more advanced than a lot of things she's done in these like quick natural moments you know what i mean by that right She's just so good. Like, no one can fuck with her. No one can. It's also interesting, this person who they've had experience with and who she sees as dangerous because he has presented very dangerous things. He was going to harm many innocent people. But also, her immediate reaction is violence. You know what I mean? Like, they've been hunted and she's immediately like, I need to quell this danger. Like, that's immediately how she perceives him as, is is a new danger in their lives. Or a returning danger, I suppose. But it seems to shift when he says, uh, she calls the gang over. <laughs> I, like the, I like the way she's like, Jet's back. Um, which I feel like... The close up. <laughs> I feel like in the context of you experienced this thing with this person and now you're in bossing say you would be like yo fucking jets here you know but to say he's like yeah jets back is kind of like, like he's zuko in the like context of the them. show you know like jets back in the show what i love about it too is the close-up of jet with just this face of oh shit is he good or bad right you know it's and it's like played off in this serious way but once you've watched the show a bunch of times i kind of laugh at that moment <laughs> yeah it goes jet's back and then this close-up with his hair kind of swooping in the wind and he's got <laughs> right. just this straight face and yeah. you're like you know he's fine he's yeah. he's not a bad guy but and it's yeah, interesting the way that. he phrases it you, you know he opens up the flyer of appa he said he says i want to help you find appa um, oh it's so cool the angle because of how he's right. pinned up when he just releases Unfurled his hand it. yeah to sh- i don't know it, it it's like an image that sticks with me Totally. Um, and he says, I let my anger get out of control. I was I was a person who did some bad things, but I, I want to have changed. I, I have changed now, um, which feels very feels organic in the in, in the moment. If you didn't know what had happened to him, it feels exactly. like something that could have if you didn't could know be talking about. I could buy it. Like I could yeah. buy it if I were Katara. Mm, I could buy it if I were Anger Sokka. Katara is the, less trusting. The insidious nature of Long Fang and the Dai Li is that as far as like designing a plan to get the Avatar to leave the city goes, yeah. this is pretty well done. It's pretty you know well what I mean? done. It's, when I was watching it, I was amazed at the level of detail they went to to yeah. make this an authentic thing. Mm-hmm. Because how did they find out about Jet's... You know, like they had to figure out that jet knew the avatar or had come across him at some point they had to know what level of like trust because if it was zuko they never would have been able to make this happen or is this just one of the most recent people that they've gotten into their group of hypnotized citizens and decided to send them and it could have been anyone that just stumbled along because it was jet that's how they figured it out exactly because they were able to then have the freedom fighters help them deduce that he was brainwashed yeah I think the suggestion that like Jet is just sort of a bystander and wasn't deliberately suggested takes like I th- I think that it would 
show a lot of the sort of breaking and mind control elements of the Dai Li Long Feng story, that they were able to peel that information out of that kid and be like, oh, here are threads connecting of how we can use this information that we stole from this child's brain That's true. to totally. get the avatar out of our town. Yeah. Especially when you think about then, like they don't know that the freedom fighters are maybe still in the town because they weren't captured. Right. So they, the Dai Li, that is like the one thing that fucking saved them is the, the freedom, freedom fighters. fighters stumbling across them. Them being supportive of Jet is why this episode doesn't have a tragic ending of them giving up and like flying to Whale Tail Island. Yeah. And that's what we find out in the next scene. They go to a facility that Jet had heard about. Yep. And they find this you're fur. thinking as someone who, you know, with this dramatic irony, you're thinking, I wonder how, what they're assuming he heard. Because we know that he was just told about this place during his brainwashing, probably. Right. Yep. But the dramatic irony there is great because you're just like, oh, man. This is like the perfect place to house Appa. And they probably did have Appa in this place for a while, like for a week or Possible. something. To, you or know, so that his fur is fur. there. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And then that and then the janitor yeah, even the janitor being totally in. in on it. Yeah. To the point of it being like when he has his line where he's like, Oh, traveling sounds nice. I'd love to vacation. And then Katara's like, Don't you have something to clean? And he's just like, <laughs> yeah. I get it. Move along. No one likes yep. old Sweepy. Yeah. yeah. It like makes me old feel Sweepy bad for him. Is the best character name in Avatar. Old he was Sweepy. definitely brainwashed. Old like old Sweepy yeah. has been to Lake Laokai. Old Sweepy has yeah. you know, like I'm imagining. Do you think him when do you do you think when Long Feng activates that guy, he's like Old Sweepy, the Earth King, would like <laughs> yeah. you to visit him at Lake Lauga. Yes. Yeah. So he was Old Sweepy before he was brainwashed? Yes. Honestly, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Either that or he was like that government official that they talked to in the first episode that they oh, got here. Yeah. And they were like, ooh, someone like that said too much. Let's make him a janitor now and make him think he's been a janitor. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Well, but he, anyway, he uh, tells them that he's probably been taken to Whale Tail Island, which might be a zoo. He could be used for meat. They don't even know, but it's like a solid lead for them at the time. Again, knowing what's going on, very, very solid because it is very far away. Sokka looks at the map and points way down here. And you realize again, like without Appa, their travel is very restricted. They would have to find a way to walk or like take a cart all the way to the like lower regions and then find a boat like man it gets so much more complicated when you don't have a flying bison <laughs> but luckily as they're leaving and trying to figure out what to do smellerby and longshot come out and they see jet and they say you got away from the Dai Li, which is a huge moment for the gang because they're like whoa 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 the Dai Li, you were taken by the Dai Li, and jet truly believes he has been living peacefully in the city. And Smellerby is saying, no, he got captured by the Dai Li. And we already saw before, uh, I, I think we breezed by it, but Toph is sort of a lie detector. She gives context. She says, you know, when when you lie, your body has a physical reaction to it. Your, your 
heart beats faster and your breathing changes and she can sense those things which you know is true lie detectors are a thing and she can feel that and now she feels between these two people that they are both telling the truth which is i just think it's such cool writing it's such a good idea to have this dynamic to be able to deduce what's going on here it's a crystal clear representation of indoctrination Mm. it is true to jet what he's saying because right. his brain has been broken. It's it's right. not one to one. You know, it's it's the subjectivity of fact and implanting literal memories. It's it's an incredible detail in this episode. Absolutely, is that they're both telling the truth. Line. The crew goes off to figure this out, and we get a cut to it is now that night and. The blue spirit is back. The blue mask oh, runs by his die chills agent when I see him and uh, runs by this die Lee agent dips into an alley. And it is I think they kind they don't really make a huge deal out of it, but it is chilling that just because this guy runs by him and like kind of bumps into him and says, move it and runs into an alley that this die Lee agent is ready to absolutely assassinate him. He walks into this alley and just fucking launches these rock fists into his chest and head. And it decapitates this, this like, makeshift doll with another blue spirit mask that Zuko has set up. We realize now that during the day, maybe, the Dai Li protect, quote-unquote, you can't see my finger quotes, who's listening, (laughs) protect the cultural heritage of Ba Sing Se. But in reality, they're basically, like, fucking... I don't want to use the word, but they're like Gestapo, Uh, you know? Yeah. Basically, uh, this Dai Li agent gets a sword to his throat, and it's Zuko in his blue blue spirit mask. And he says, you're going to tell me what I want to know unless you want to end up like him because he just cut off his head. (laughs) So, you know, know, I'll cut off your head just uh, to be direct here. And this is really smart, by the way, of Zuko because he doesn't know what he's dealing with yet. So this was his way of seeing what the Dai Li could do. You know right. what I mean by that? Yeah. He had a dummy set up so that he could run into this alley, hide, and I could see him like deciding not to pursue this if the Dai Li agent used a different method of bending that was like mm-hmm. less tolerable for him. Right. But he sees what his thing is. Oh, he's got rock hands that he uses. Mm-hmm. If I get him by the throat, we're good. Like, yeah. I got him now. Right. It's really smart. Yeah. Uh, we get back to the gang. We get this context. Like, if Dai Li sent Jet to mislead us, then the janitor could could have been misleading too. They they connect these dots as we as we have already kind of talked about in this discussion, and naturally too, it feels organic. Yeah, they're trying to figure out how to break Jet out of this sort of brainwashing, and um, <laughs> Sokka says maybe you should maybe you should kiss him, Katara, and Katara's like maybe you should kiss him. Aang in the background has a slight comment of like, sounds like a bad idea when, when <laughs> poor Aang. Yeah. Like, Boy, he's still it's, just it's, a kid, you know, it's, he's it's getting all like jealous. They have a perfect episode of avatar here. And then right at the end, somebody just took a handful of Katara Aang romance and threw it at it. And yeah. we get stuck with this line. It, it, it is the only part of this episode that feels out of place to me. I get what you mean. I know you're kind of a, uh, you're not as much on the side of the Ang Katara thing, but... Uh, yeah, it's not for me. 
Yeah, that's for me. That's fine. This moment is a twelve-year-old showing his twelve-year-old colors. Yeah, and I get why in the in the uh, context of an episode done so seriously and so well that that it is like Sprinkled it's either there. a moment that you're like, yeah, classic, or you're like, okay, you could have done without that. Yeah, and yeah. I get that for sure. Um, but then <laughs> we have a moment where Sokka's like, wait, <laughs> I have an idea. And we, we realize, because he has, Jet has seemed different, and not just from the way he's been acting, because he's kind of been how you would think a reformed Jet would be, but <laughs> Sokka sticks this, like, thread of hay like a, into his mouth. It's like wheat or like, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we realize he hasn't had it Bunk. this whole time, um, which he, he had up until he got taken by the Dai Li agents, which... I don't know. It kind of makes sense that like his slightly changed personality, that's not a thing that he does. That's not a tick he does anymore. But they start to try and jog powerful emotions out of him to try and get him to remember, you know, who he is and everything. And they tell him to remember what the Fire Nation did to him and remember that that powerful emotion and really picture it. And we get this flashback and we learn that the fucking uh, rough rhinos. Yeah, dude. We're responsible I didn't realize for his that town. Until this time. Yeah, I saw when I saw that dude in Jet's memory, I was like, man, everything yeah. in Avatar is connected to something else Hell in Avatar. Yeah, yeah that's so and that good. just makes it so much more fucked now. Thinking <laughs> yeah. about the rough rhinos, yeah, like they're like an acclaimed singing group, and they fucking murdered Jet's family. <laughs> right? You know what yeah. the fuck? Yeah. Oh, man. And then Katara has this moment. She says, maybe this will help. And I love uh, I love this animation getting into this moment. And then the animation of this moment is incredible. But I love that she uses water to, like, try and heal his head and ease his mind and try and, like, soothe. And he gets this vision of floating over this lake. He sees Long Fang. He plunges into this lake oh, and goes under and so fucking cool. we see these caves these green lit brick caves and uh leads him all the way to the hypnotizing chamber and he remembers it's under lake laogai or it's 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 under a lake and then they make the connection of judy saying she went on a vacation to lake laogai that shot of the Dai Li agent with the single lantern spinning around him is oh, yeah. such good, like, call to hypnotism movies and television that, yeah. like, ver- very sparsely, like, evocative. So, so good. Oh, yeah. And within the this universe, like, this is the version of hypnotism that has naturally been, like, realized by these people. You know what I mean? They're not basing it on things from our universe it is fully its own thing too Mm -hmm. it's so cool how like i've never seen that specific method because it's invented here you know right but you're right it feels fully integrated into the world it's not referencing something we know and then putting it in it it would it would be more like if they designed the thing and then said, what is this for? And right. the closest thing they had is hypnotism. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they make the connections. They find whatever maps and stuff they need to to be able to get to Lake Laogai. I like that none of those logistics are addressed. It's just like they figure it out. They get there. That's not anything we need to see. 
and they're at the edge of this lake and it appears to just be uh and you know a, a regular old lake but Toph who's so vital to this group for so many moments and so many reasons just points over and she says there's a tunnel right over there and then she just like Can't. whistles as she walks over to it like can't hang a poster is a lie detector who finds underground traps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the dichotomy of uh in this episode specifically of Toph is a disabled person and Toph is fucking badass yeah. is so good. Yeah. It's just like yeah, Toph can't hang a poster and she can't see Sokka's bad drawing, but she knows whenever someone's lying and knows anything hidden underground. Right. She is <laughs> vital and badass and important. It's We've seen so many examples of why Toph is such an incredible character in this show, but th- this episode highlights a lot of them. I love they make their way, you know, they open up this tunnel and they go down. I love this shot. We see the Dai Li agents go around a corner and we pan over to the double gang is what I wrote out. I just love yes. this animation. Of, Me too. I wrote the same yeah. thing. Double it gang. makes you almost like, okay, could this be like the gang for the rest of the show? I right. might be cool with that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean by that? Yep. It's like in the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 when everyone drops down and there's this wide angle shot and now we have... Uh, mantis on the team and it's just mm-hmm. like this cool like little and nebulas with them now right, and it's yeah. like an addition of people mm-hmm. and even though it's just like for this episode it feels like that like this yeah cool like we're all in this moment together right i totally love that shot it's a shot i would have and a poster I, of i think it very much informs the end of the episode and like what happens is that the the members of uh, Jet's gang that join feel so integrated so quickly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. As they're making their way through, they walk by this cracked door where they see what we've referenced, the horrifying shot of the, I wrote down, the army of Judies. <laughs> the, <laughs> uh, you know, this group being hypnotized. Which, which makes you horrifying. realize that what's happening to Aang and them when they moved in is what happens to everyone when they move into Ba Sing Se. Yeah. When you yep. get here, if you're a refugee mm-hmm. escaping the war... That is what they do. Yep. They, they make you either stop talking about it, or they send a Ju- like they send a Judy to stop you from talking about it, or they turn you into a Judy. Yeah, because right. like we saw the guy that was in the same district as them. Mm-hmm. He obviously hadn't been brainwashed. He was like, right. "Don't talk about yes. the Dai Li." But if you're if you're like him, you're good. If you're not, right. they'll send a Judy. Yeah, and if you make trouble, you'll end up like Jet, getting brainwashed and exactly. used for whatever they want. And then we have this fantastic moment, uh, this fantastic filmmaking moment, this editing moment where Jet says there's a large chamber up ahead where I believe they're holding Appa. And we they go up to it and Jet opens the door and then we cut to inside a chamber and there's Appa and the door opens and there's a figure there and we cut to the blue spirit. And Zuko says, ah, were you expecting someone else? Dude, I've got chills right now while you're just describing it. It's so So good. Brilliant. Oh, it's it's just that's my favorite editing moment in this episode, but this whole episode is like that. Right. It's a violation of expectations, and they even directly address that, and it doesn't feel like ham fisted, you know? No, it it feels it is 
as close as this show comes to breaking the fourth wall. Yeah. And it is both very close and very far away. Right. Yeah. It's brilliant. Man, some good directing. Then we see where the gang did come through, and it's to this chamber with Long Feng in it and the Dai Li agents hanging from the ceiling. And he says, you have made yourselves enemies of the state. And this fight breaks out. These Dai Li agents raise this wall. Oh, shit. Oh, my God. I love this fight because we've only seen the Dai Li, like, sneakily grab them. Yeah. So we're almost under the impression, like... Can they even fight these guys? Right. Uh, yeah. Yes, they can. Oh, yes. <laughs> Toph finally has is paying attention because she knows what they can do now and feels the way that these Dai Li agents punch their fists out and is able to sense the rock and break them up. I just love that she can sense this rock and explode these rock fists. And uh, Jet making his slide and, you know, hooking people's ankles and lifting them up. And and then this amazing pillar work <laughs> by these earth Oh, man. yeah. Oh, my God. This sequence of just whoosh, up in the middle and these pillars coming from the side and Toph in jumping up. In the way Toph, her legs, she does like this, like, ballet jump. Yeah. When she brings yeah. her pillar up and then, like, lands, like, with her feet together and, mm-hmm. like, dope pose and then that is the moment because she's high up in the air she was in the air for a minute so her feet were touching the ground and as soon as they do it's too late someone has already thrown their rock fist and grabs her from behind yeah it's just it's so smart because she still does have things that in fighting can cause her to you know be a hindrance like that specific thing that she did is why she was able to get grabbed, you know? The continuity of the rules of how the Avatar universe works mm. make fight scenes like this and that detail specifically incredibly rewarding. Yeah. We learn that Toph speaks and feels through her feet. We learn that she can do that with the Dai Li Agents rock. She becomes disconnected from that and it's stopped. Yeah. It's so good. We also we also learn in this it's a real quick moment, but I was like, yo, wait, what? We learn that the Dai Li agents also have these rock formations on their feet. They make some kicks where they shoot shoes at them as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's just a quick moment. They don't make a huge deal out of it, but it's just like, oh, like, of course they would, too, you know? But Long Fang escapes. He makes his way out, and Aang addresses it. He says, Long Fang's escaping, and him and Jet, the leaders of the respect, uh, respective groups, race out to go and get him like it just makes sense the rest of the group is going to handle that situation these two are going to chase after the 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 head honcho and they get into this room and uh long thing confirms that he does have appa ang is furious at it and uh cuts him a deal yeah he tries to cut him a deal. He says, Long Fang says, if you leave and say nothing, I'll let you leave with your animal. And Jet's like, I don't think you're in a position to uh, be making any demands. He says, oh, no? <laughs> it's like, uh, Jet, the uh, the Earth King w- has invited you to stay at Lake Guy, And we get this shot again, this callback from the beginning where we we saw it with Judy, and we saw it as the other Judys were being hypnotized, his pupils in this very, very stylized, very fish eye lens shot. And immediately, he is starting to attack Aang. 
Um, and we leave that tense moment. We cut over to Appa, who is so mad at seeing not Zuko. into it, <laughs> not into it. Um, he's like growling at Zuko, and then the door opens and closes, and Iroh has followed him here. And you know, think about that. Yeah, think, think about, about that. that. He has How did he even get through, there? He has followed him through every step, and only like... now has he determined he has to interfere. And this is one of the most potent scenes in the entire show, and it's a hundred percent Mako, the voice of Iroh. It's yeah. some of the best voice acting the show show has uh, has to offer. Oh my god! It's it's, yeah. it's also so intentional that this is the only time that Iroh ever raises his voice to Zuko. Yes, yes. In much the same way that we don't need to see Ang go by food. We don't need to see Iroh, the most powerful firebender <laughs> in the whole world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. exactly what I was thinking is we see Zuko need to go through this pretty elaborate process to find his way down there. Yeah. And I imagine Iroh was watching him do that and then just went down there. Yeah. Any problems that come up, he's fine. He's Iroh, yeah. you know? He can do some fucking crazy shit. He can, like, melt people <laughs> i don't know like yeah. he's fine oh, it's so dope this speech just it brings goosebumps to me every time and the way th that he's saying it he is reprimanding him he's saying what are you planning to do next you need to think these things through you cannot just blindly follow what you think is your destiny well, I need to get him out of here. And then what? This is exactly what happened at the North Pole when you got the Avatar and you had nowhere to go. And if it wasn't for his friends finding you, you would have frozen to death out there. And Zuko says, I, I need to follow my destiny. And, and he says, whose destiny are you following? Your own destiny is for you to make. I am, he literally says... I am begging you to ask these big questions. Who are you? What do you want? And he really has not considered these things. You can tell he has been mm -hmm. driving. He throws down his sword. He's been blindly brainwashed. Wanting... He's been brainwashed. Yes. He's yes. been indoctrinated by a militaristic nation. Yes. And in much the same way that the, the, the Judees are fish-eye-lensed, brain-melted, yes. he has been experiencing the same thing. It's just been, instead of immediate and visual, it's right. a lifetime of Social cultural indoctrination. Yeah, cultural. Yes, yeah. That, like, the, the B-plot of this episode being Zuko and Iroh finally having the confrontation about who Zuko is and what Zuko wants is the reason this episode is as good as it is. Absolutely. The A-plot is phenomenal. This is the, in my opinion, yeah, the I best B-plot of any Avatar episode. I agree totally. Yeah, it's one my of the favorite. best moments of the show, honestly. it's Even the, the way that Iroh is able to sneak in his own Iroh humor in a serious thing by being like, what are we going to do? Have it in our house? Do you want me to make a pot of tea for it? It's like right. it's like a he's like joking, but like he's serious. Yeah, he's like still what the Iroh. fuck do you want me to yeah, do? You right. know what I mean? It's excellent. It's so good. And like you said, it's all Mako. That yeah. his acting here is no, nothing is held back. It 
and it's, it's so good. It's purposeful that Iroh has never come to this heightened emotion until now. He has been yep. playing it purposefully. And now he's gotten to a point that this is a huge turning point. The decision he makes right now will be massive in his life. And we cut away before he makes the decision. We see Zuko hearing it and frustrated. And we cut back to Jet and Aang. And we don't yet see what he decided to do. Jet is attacking Aang. And the thing that knocks him back is he says, Remember the Freedom Fighters. And I love that, man. I it makes me like that. cry. It's this his moment family. makes me cry. It's his family that he is remembering. Because his birth family was stripped from him. And he has found community and family in these other people. And that's what he's remembering. And his pupils shrink back down. And those flashbacks aren't just like things we've seen. There's a couple things. I think there's a, a shot of him and Katara that we've seen before. Yeah, yeah. But they even show us like some stuff with him and Longshot, stuff with him and Spellerby that are new to the show. Like yeah. there were memories that he had that we haven't seen before. Sometimes I don't like that in a movie where it's like the emotional breaking point is like flashbacks sure, you know what i mean sure. by that like they show a flashback and that's what makes you cry this works perfectly because that's it the point so organic oh it, yeah it like, does and it's exactly his memories yeah it's so good oh and then he doesn't break he's still in the same pose and he churns to throw his sword and like the moment that Long Fang tells him to strike Aang down. Yeah. So Long Fang doesn't even realize it until the last moment, but it's still just not fast enough. And you even get a cut of Long Fang's like disappointed face. And yeah. it just pisses Ooh. me off so much that he's just like, all right, fuck this guy, I guess. This didn't work out. Yeah. And he sends a yep. pillar. Yeah. You see it like trail under it's the ground and then shoot up. They, it's, it's just yeah. not okay. It just bothers me how nonchalantly he just is like, all right, this guy didn't work, so I'm going to get rid of him. Yeah. And ah, yeah the, it like really the breaks The expendability me. of a human life from Long Fang there is just chilling. It that, really like, is. And especially in the context of this show, like death right. has been a thing, but this is murder now. Yeah. And yeah. like, oh, it's, they, they kind of make it a thing. And I, I think it's okay to say this, that even later in the show, they reference this moment as like a... Wait, did he die? Very much in the show, they portray it as a as not being okay. I mean, yes. the 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 scene that comes to mind is uh, Jet tells Katara, "You guys go, I'll be fine." And as they're walking away, oh. Toph says he's lying. Yep. It doesn't. Yeah, like the point isn't that he just got murdered. The point is that he just took one for the team and is basically. He's not fine, yeah. and that's what it is. I and Longshot and Smellerby are willing to sit with him either till he passes away yeah. or until they know that they're safe enough to bring him somewhere. No matter what, this dude is like for sure either A, paralyzed from the neck down, yeah. or B, dying. Right. It's I think Nothing it's, is okay. I think it's perfectly done for a kid's show. You know, I, I think the way 
you can see the pillar going, the smoke rising, and when the smoke settles, he's just down. But you know exactly what happened and that he got hit. And, you, and, then and it actually Katara... helps as well because it's indistinct what exactly has happened to him. And we haven't seen exactly where he's been hit by this. But clearly it's bad. And Katara trying to sense with her water and trying to heal and saying, and just she saying says is... is, this isn't good. Yeah, dude. Because it every moment that Katara has used her healing abilities up until this point, she's just fine with, like she can do anything with it. Yep. You know, because nothing has been bad enough for her to not be able to heal. And we finally hear long shot talk. He's not mute. He just know he is economical with his speech. He knows when it's not funny. No, this could have been a joke. It's not. And it's not. It's It's done in a beautiful way. He just says, just go. He's our leader. We will stay with him. He knocks an arrow yeah. and turns p- facing the door. So he's not even like sitting with Jet. He is being what he needs to be for Jet. Yeah. He's willing to let Smellerby be the one that's with Jet during this moment so that he can protect both of them. It's like yeah. fucking beautiful when you think about it. Also, I, I do want to address that Jet says to Aang... I'm sorry. And Ang says there's no need to be. And it feels more so than just like anything recent or distinct. It's like he knows what he's done wrong in his life is how it feels to me and how and he's the wrong. Avatar him. is like the person yes. to talk to about that. It's the connection of the he's spirit like, world and the material yeah. world. I, I think it's really, really good. The The juxtaposition of Jet's character as starting as someone who sees people human beings as expendable i mean he's gonna kill innocent people yeah and then he himself becomes a victim to that same expendability of human life mindset it's it's incredible the levels that this show draws on to to make those connections from beginning to end of a character arc absolutely as they're walking out jet says i'll be fine toff knows that he's lying which is a very you know just distinct good way to do that and very heartbreaking you know the less you show sometimes if it's done well the more you feel like the the less said like all that's all that has to happen i'm gonna be and it's fine great that it's a callback a lot of callbacks in movies and tv are funny yeah it's like a joke is made and then that joke comes back in a fight scene later and it's funnier because they've made it before where this is like she has this lie detector thing being set up throughout the episode. And then when she says he's lying, it's just yep. heartbreaking. Yeah. And then we get another heartbreaking moment. They finally find this room where Appa has definitely been being kept. There's yep. fur everywhere. There's four chains that would fit perfectly yep. around him. And he's not there. Yep. And as an audience, we're wondering, okay, fuck. Did Zuko yep. decide to fucking take him? Oof, yep. Shit. Because they think Long Fang beat us here. Mm-hmm. That's what they think. But we know Zuko beat them here. And they just say, if we keep going, we we should catch up to them. They get outside of, of the the tunnels. They say, do you think we can outrun the Dai Li? They look back and the Dai Li are already coming out right at them. And Aang says, I don't think it'll even matter. And as they're trapped here, they get... <laughs> trapped by three walls of earth that erupt out controlled by these Dai Li and Long Fang is there Momo flies in and Aang goes what is it Momo and Momo flies away off into the into the sun the glare of the sun and then through that glare 
Appa! Appa comes. When Aang looks up and smiles and yells, Appa! Yeah. It makes my... And I go, oh, I heave. swell of I'm music. Like, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> I literally I, I watched this heave. episode twice in preparation for this podcast. Yeah. And both times, the last five minutes, I sat there going, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. Yes. <laughs> I'm not going to cry at Zuko or Aang or Appa <laughs> yeah. or Iroh. I'm no, not going to cry. The whole end of this episode yeah. is like, hey, you're going to cry you're now. You're going to. Appa, Appa just fucks shit up. He just up. crashes <laughs> through these walls. It's not even well, a problem. Well, he's been fucked with by these people and chained up by them. Yep. So you know that there is more to this than just saving Aang. He's also like, fuck these people. Yeah. And <laughs> fuck Long <laughs> Fang. Long Fang's like, I'll just have to take care of you myself. And he just, he just grabs him by the foot and whips him across the lake, skips him like a throws rock. Throws him. I love that he skips like a fucking rock. His body's like a rag doll. Like he fucks up. Now that I'm thinking about that, he's an earthbender, so it's funny that he skips like a rock. I don't know. That's just another (laughs) layer to me. That's true. Works on levels. Um, And then Appa just spits out his little shoe. Yeah. (laughs) They're flying away. Or uh, Aang has this moment where he says, "Yes, I missed you." Can't pass that moment. I missed you, buddy. It makes me cry. Oh, I love it. And then, and everybody is excited to see him. There, yeah. they all, even Sokka. Like I noticed, Sokka fully dives on him and just jumps on his arm like it's yep. a bed and just yeah. hugs him. And it's it's the feeling you get when you come home to see your dog or like, I. But times a million because he's been missing Appa and wondering if he's even alive. And I mean, he knows because he's the Avatar that he's alive and close. <laughs> yeah. But there's that worry that is now gone. Yep. And it honestly is so beautiful. Finally relieved after episodes of this tension. Um, I think it's cool, too, that Appa doesn't have a saddle anymore. So when they fly off, they're they're all bareback on Appa. It's just kind of cool. Like They're flying away, and Katara's looking off wistfully because of what just happened. You know she's thinking about Jet. And Sokka just brings her back to the present moment. Just touches her shoulder and brings her in and they all just embrace all finally back together and it's so cathartic and then we get a resolution or at least an explanation on what happened with Zuko and Iroh I mean we know he let him free but now it's confirmed like he on purpose let Appa free and he's clearly questioning it and Iroh is telling him you did the right thing and I'm proud of you and he's got the spirit, the blue spirit mask in his hands. Also, we didn't touch on it, but I love the moment when Iroh first enters the cave and Zuko's still wearing the mask. And he says, oh, the blue spirit. I wonder who's behind that mask. And it's like he has known all along that Zuko's been doing Whole this. Time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And he just says, you need to leave it behind. And the animation of Zuko slowly dropping this mask into the water and the blue spirit mask just turning and slowly floating down to the bottom of the lake. And that's what we're left with. Oh, he is. It's so symbolic. Here he is. He's leaving it behind. Leaving. Yeah, he's leaving his indoctrinate. Like, I know I've said this a lot in this episode. No, it's good. But, uh. 
the the symmetry of him leaving behind a mask at a place where people have been hypnotized and stripped of their free will yeah. is just like Mwah, chef's kiss. It's so good. It's it, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, I think all we have left to do is name a kid moment of the week. Kid moment. Kid moment uh, of the week. So there are a few. There this are episode, a few good ones. which we didn't mention, which we always mention when it is the case, uh-huh. was directed by the great Lauren, Lauren McMullen. It's the last episode so, she directed. Really? Yeah. It's, oh, I mean, expertly handled. But anyway. Yes. Uh, because of that, every emotion is touched on in a good way. Mm-hmm. I would say Sokka drawing pictures of Appa. I would say uh, Long Fang skipping across the water. Yeah. Toph being blind and trying to put the fucking Poster flyer up. up. I yeah. think that's mine is the flyer. That's my pick is her putting it up and being like, it's upside down, isn't it? And it's fully backwards. That's a really good one. That's one that I noted. I want to bring up one that is uh, Katara to Jet when... She's like, all right, you can come with us, but we're not letting you out of our sight. And then she like, boink, like redoes her <laughs> finger pointing at him. I just like that little moment. What about Tim? Do you do you have any uh, oh, kid moments? For me, it's for me, it's far and away uh, a character who has existed for literally minutes. Just goes, <laughs> all right, no more need for old Sweepy, and just oh, disappears. <laughs> From the stories canon, never to be seen again. That is R.I.P. Old Sleepy. See at the crossroads. Old Sleepy. <laughs> it's got to be old Sweepy. Sweepy. Rather, I think that's. Oh, I think old Sweepy. So many good ones, but I think my vote my my vote goes for old Sweepy. Me too. I think that's it. That's our kid moment of the week. Uh, Fantastic. Thank you, Lauren McMullen, for oh, gracing us with so many incredible some episodes. Excellent directing. Yes. And hopefully, thank you that. You were part of a team of people that learned some things because I can't remember for sure, but I'm pretty sure the show continues on an upward path. And yeah. without collaborative efforts, shit like that doesn't happen. Oh, she was you know part what I mean? of forming what, you know, concluded to be in whole one of the greatest shows ever. So she exactly. had a huge exactly. Well, uh, this has been a good one, a, lo- uh, a long one. We had a lot to talk about. I hope you don't mind. I feel like every time I'm addressing that. So I'm going to try and stop talking about that too much and let it be the length that it is. Um, thank you so much for listening. I hope it gave you some sort of release in whatever you're going through a week from now. I can't imagine where I'll be at. Um, I love you all. I hope you're taking care of yourselves and also taking action for whatever the climate uh, requires. Tim, thank you so much for joining in on our podcast. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Uh, Please check out his podcast, Mud Show Dirt Sheet on Rasslin'. And uh, follow us on social media at New Lens Pod on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Check out those donation links in the description. Thank you to Sofina Sago for our cover art. If there's other things that you want to be listening to uh, similar to this, we also have a actual play, Dungeons and Dragons campaign, Legendary Four Adventures. Space Vampires. <laughs> Thank you, Calvin. Calvin does the music, and it's really epic. And our friend Sam and Dustin join us. Sam is the DM and edits the 
the uh, voices. main vocal tracks. Yeah. Uh, really fun. Um, yeah, please but check yeah, it out. other than that, hopefully everybody is of calm and peaceful mind, body, and spirit. I'm Gary. I'm Calvin. I'm Tim, and this has been A New Lens. It's upside down, isn't it?